So I'm going to do a mini-series on the name. Now, the reason why is because in Christianity, we are known for cliches and saying things and making statements in which we have absolutely no understanding about. What does it mean to say, why do we say at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name? We say it, we, but do we know why we say that? In America, the name of a thing, usually we associate the name of something as the title of a person. So my name is Randell McKinley Hardy. I Call me McKinley. I don't use Mama Stop. I don't like Randell. So I made it my middle name. So if someone would call me, they would be like, McKinley. And that would be considered my name. But biblically speaking, that's not so. That's not how it works. When we talk about the name of Jesus, we're not talking about J-E-S-U-S. We're talking about all that he represents. So the title of our message on today will be The Name and the Kingdom. And they're very much synonymous. The Name and the Kingdom. The first scripture I'll be coming from will be Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And it reads, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, if you are a Bible reader, there's nowhere in the Bible where you will go and find someone calling Jesus wonderful. You will go nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and someone called him counselor. You will go nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and someone called him the mighty God or the everlasting father or the prince of peace. So name has to have a deeper meaning than just the title of an individual. I'm going to read the scripture again. It says, for unto us a child is born. Jesus was born. Unto us a son is given. Christ was given. The spirit was given. His son, God, is a spirit. His son is a spirit. His son is the word. His son is Christ. Christ became flesh. And it says, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, when we're talking about government, we're talking about the kingdom. That's why the title of this message is The Name and the Kingdom. So he says the government 
which means the dominion or the rule from the father's world would be upon his what? Shoulders. Now, shoulders represent the carrying of a burden. It also represents a yoke. If you don't know what a yoke is, in the biblical days, they would take two oxen or two cattle and they would connect them together at the neck with a device. They would go around one oxen neck and the other oxen. And what they would do, they would use that yoke to keep them together on the same path. And they would use that for agriculture purposes, for farming purposes, for grazing, for planting seeds. So on his shoulders is a burden, but at the same time, on his shoulders is a yoke. It is a yoke, and he is yoked together with the Father. Now, this whole scripture is about the, is Isaiah prophesying that the kingdom will be established. So, for unto us a child is born, Jesus is born, Christ is sent, the word is sent to become flesh. And the government is upon his shoulders and his name will be called. Now, the word called means proclaimed, announced. So his name will be announced. Now, name speaks to nature and quality. Nature means what, what, what one does naturally. Quality speaks to the level of excellence. Name speaks to his reputation, his fame, his glory. When the Bible says that he glorified you, Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknow, he did also predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, who is the firstborn of many brethren, and those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So when he glorified you, how he glorified you is when you were born again, when he adopted you, when he brought you into the family, you now lost your name and took on his name. And because you have taken on his name, you took on his glory. Now you are bound to keep his reputation. You took on his fame, not in earth. It has to be manifested in earth. But in heaven, they see you a particular way. They see you as God's children. Name speaks to the summary of the whole. So when you think of God, everything that you can possibly think of sums up his name. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. He's majestic. He's glorious. He's all-powerful. He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He's all-understanding. He's terrific. He's awesome. He's amazing. Everything that you can think of, possibly think of in your mind, he's the king eternal. He's peace. He's joy. He's gentleness. He's long-suffering. He's compassionate. So the name speaks to the sum of the whole. Everything that you can possibly think of when you think of God, his name represents. That is his name. So when it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, 
every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and beneath the earth. It's not saying that whenever you say Jesus, everything shuts bows down to you. No, you have a part to play in this. You know the name, but do you represent the name? And the kingdom responds to you or the kingdom responds or his world responds to your world the more you represent that name. I'm getting ahead of myself. So he's, so when we get saved, we inherit the father's name. The name is a code of conduct. It tells you how you should carry yourself. That's why the Bible tells us to love. Why? Because love represents the Because love represents the the name. Y'all gonna work with me today. Y'all ain't got no I ain't got no screen either. Lord Jesus. He asks you to love because love represents his name. He asks you to forgive because forgiving represents his name. He asks us to be kind and gentle to people. Why? Because it represents his name. And the representative of his name distinguishes or lets him know who is, lets the world know and lets the spirit realm know who is my child and who isn't. So to be kind to somebody is to represent him. To be generous is to represent him. So he says, and his name will be called. So his name, everything that he represents will be proclaimed. That is the coming of the kingdom. When the kingdom was established on earth, it was all about establishing his name on earth. It was all about establishing his culture, his ways. Because the Bible lets us know that in the beginning, before he created, the Bible says in the beginning, God created heaven and he created earth. And the earth was dark. It was void. It was chaotic. Meaning, he wasn't there. His name was not here. His ways were not here. Adam was not the first man on earth. He was the first man that was created in the image and the likeness of God. He was the first man put here to bear his name. Let me read this scripture before I go any further. Matthew 11 and 27. I'm going to go back to Isaiah because I'm not done with that. Well, now let me, let me go ahead and finish this. It says, and his name will be called Wonderful. Wonderful means miraculous. Now, he was miraculous not only in his ministry, not only in the things that he did as far as create, uh, 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 showing us miracles, but even his birth was miraculous. The fact that he was God and he was man at the same time was miraculous. So they said they're going to call him wonderful. Why? Because he was miraculous. They're going to call him counselor. 
counselor because he understands the father's plan. All his counsel came from the father. So they're going to call him wonderful. They're going to call him counselor because he understands the plan. He knows the plan and he is about to proclaim it. They're going to call him mighty God because he is one with God. They're going to call him everlasting father because he's one with the father, but not but he is not only one with the father, he's a father of a movement. And so in the way that Abraham was the father of faith. Now, father can't father typically just means origin. It is from what something comes from. So Abraham was the father of faith. Adam was the father of the fallen race. In the same way, Jesus is the father of the everlasting family. He is the father of the eternal family. All of the family on earth that is in Christ will come through him. And he is the prince of peace because at the time that this is written, he's in heaven with the father still. And he's about to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Well, let me give an explanation of that. The kingdom of heaven is in eternity. The kingdom of God is the rule of that kingdom in earth. Y'all got that? So the kingdom of heaven is God's kingdom that is in eternity. It is not in time and space. The kingdom of God is the rule of that kingdom in eternity on earth. So this is why he's the prince of peace. Because as a prince, he's about to establish a kingdom of peace right here on earth. Now, Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27. All things have been handed over to me by my father. This is Jesus talking. And no one knows the son except the father. Nor does anyone know the father except the son and anyone to whom the son will reveal him. So Jesus says, nobody knows the son except the father. And nobody knows the father except the son. He's speaking of the name. You don't understand the father because you don't understand his name. You don't know all of the things that he consists of. You don't know the total sum. You don't understand his nature. You don't understand his quality. Nobody knows the son except the father. And nobody knows the father except the son. So Jesus says the son has to reveal the father to you. That's what he came to do, to reveal the father to you. Verse 28 says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. So we just talked about in Isaiah 9 and 6 that the government was on his shoulders. A yoke. Take my yoke upon you. So he wants us, he's saying once this kingdom gets here, you can, before, prior to the kingdom coming, you were yoked to Satan. You were yoked to Adam. Now that I am here and I'm bringing a kingdom, you can be yoked to me. That's why Colossians 3, 
No, 1 and 14 says that he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he translated us into his kingdom. We were yoked to Satan. We were one with Satan. We were handcuffed to him. And he said, once the kingdom came, I broke those chains of bondage and now you are yoked to me. So he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, verse 30, is easy and my burden is light. He's letting us know I'm about to establish this kingdom. And in establishing this kingdom, you should yoke yourself with me because my yoke is light. And my burden is easy. Now, in Satan, Satan, now you got to be honest with yourself. Satan drug your butt around everywhere he wanted you to go. He drug your life through the mud. He took you everywhere he wanted you to go. He made you do stuff that you did not want to do. And then you look back and you look back on your life and you, and what do you do? Slap your head. Because you, all you can think about is the stupid stuff that he made you do. He took your will and made you use it. He took your body. He took your mind. And he made you use it for what he wanted to use it for. Jesus said, come to me and yoke yourself to me. What I'm trying to give you is blessings. What I'm trying to give you is love. What I'm trying to give you is peace. And that's easy to receive. That's light. Y'all with me? Isaiah 9 and 7. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So he's about to establish the name and establish the kingdom. And he says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this kingdom is going to forever grow. We're about to get to the good part. It says, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from, the, from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So he's saying, I'm about to establish my name. I'm about to establish this kingdom. And the angels of the Lord is going to uphold it to make sure that this happens. Now, Isaiah 7 and 14. Now, we're talking about the name and the kingdom. Isaiah 7 and 14 says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So we have again, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But the angel came. Now, Emmanuel means God with us. Now, in his ministry, no one ever called him Emmanuel. So that means it has to be a deeper meaning than this. He's proclaiming something. This is Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. He's proclaiming the name. He's letting you know that this is who he's going to be. 
Because when, she, when Mary was pregnant, or before Mary got pregnant, the angel came and told her that, look, the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, and you're going to have a baby by, by uh, um, what they call it, immaculate conception. And he told her, name the baby what? Name the baby Jesus. So he didn't come to her and say, name the baby Emmanuel. He didn't come to her and say, name the baby wonderful. Name the baby counselor. Name the baby mighty God. Name the baby everlasting father. Name the baby prince of peace. He came to her and said, name the baby Jesus. Why? Because the baby, the child was named Jesus because of what the flesh was going to do on earth. He was the lamb of God. Jesus, the flesh, the body was sent here to die on the cross so that we could get Christ. So when he's speaking of wonderful, when he's speaking of counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, he's speaking to the spirit. He's speaking to who he spiritually represented. All right. Now, I want to address the eternal father part, because like I told you, Adam was the father of the fallen nature of man. He was the, he was the father of the fallen, fallen mankind. Abraham was the father of faith. Christ, Jesus Christ, is the father of the body of Christ. He's the father of the family here on earth. Okay, Galatians 3.16. I'm going to wait for y'all. I told you, when you come here, you come here to learn. You got to be spiritually hungry. It's time to eat. Galatians 3.16. Because I'm going to use this scripture in a number of other teachings. But it's also one of the number one scriptures that explains the born again experience. Y'all got it? It says, now to Abraham, no, let's start at 15. It says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So now he's talking about covenants. He's talking about the covenant that God made with Abraham. Verse 16 says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So it is a covenant that was made to Abraham. And this promise was made to Abraham and his seed. Now, one thing you have to understand about spiritual things. That our literal is figurative to God. And his literal is figurative to us. So a lot of times in the Old Testament, most of the times in the Old Testament, you're reading figurative language. Which means that although it is real, it has a deeper meaning. It's what you call analogies or allegories. And this is an allegory. So while he is talking about, he says, now to Abraham and his seeds were the promises made. That was a real thing that happened in the earth. He made a covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give it to your descendants. He says, if anyone tries to, uh, if anyone blesses you, I'll bless them. If they curse you, I'll curse them. 
And then he went on to tell them that his seed, that his descendants would be like the, the sand on the seashore and it would be like the stars in the sky. Now, this is an allegory because he's speaking figurative language, but it was literal to Abraham, but it's figurative to us. That's why it says he does not say and to seeds, but as many, but as one, as of one and to your seed who is Christ. Now, why do you need to know this? Because this is how he is the everlasting father. He's the everlasting father because we are one with him through that seed. Just as the patriarchs, just as the um, 12 tribes of Israel are one with Abraham through his seed. We are one with Christ through his seed. Now, this is a revelation. This is Paul's revelation. And the reason why it's a revelation, because like I said, it's figurative. He extracted this from, from the Pentateuch. He extracted this from Scripture. There's nowhere in the Bible where it, lets you, where it literally says this in the Old Testament. This is a revelation from Paul. And what Paul is doing is he's revealing the seed. He's revealing the seed in which we were born by. Because the seed reveals what's about to be planted and harvested. So he, he says, and to your seed, who is Christ. So he's saying spiritually, we come from the seed of Christ. But now seed in the Greek means sperm. It means sperm. Now, a seed has two basic things that it does, characteristics. One is a seed produces a root. It produces a root. If you plant a seed in the soil, the first thing that comes out of that seed is a root. The next is a vine. After the vine is what? Branches. After the branches are what? Leaves. After that is what? Fruit. So if I could give you a visual of how it works is the father is the root. Christ was the seed, but Christ lets us know in John 15 that he is the true vine. And we are the branches. Now, why do you need to know this? Because who you belong to reveals who you are. Who you are speaks to what you are supposed to be doing or what you can do. Which leads me to my second point. C speaks of DNA. It speaks of genetics because we are born again by the seed. Now, all this is going to take us to the fact that because we have the seed, we have the name. When someone is born, naturally, it is through a seed. And after that baby is born, that baby takes on the name of the person who planted the seed. Now, DNA speaks to genetics. How many of y'all in here know who Steph Curry is? 
Raise your hand. How many of y'all here know who Dale Curry is? One, two, three people. They're like, who is Dale Curry? <laughs> well, Dale Curry is Steph Curry's father. Now, if you, if you see Steph Curry's jump shot, if you see his game, you, you like, this guy's good. But for us who know Dale Curry, we seen the jump shot in the father first. We seen the way he played, we seen it in the father first. Steph Curry can only do what his father is in his father genetically. How many, how many of y'all seen, um, what is the name of that movie? Straight Outta Compton. You see Ice Cube's son playing his daddy? <laughs> Look just like him. Act just like him. Because the seed lets you know what you can do. It is, it's no mistake he can act. His daddy can act. It's no mistake that Steph Curry can play ball. His dad can play ball. You see LeBron James, and now you see his son. But what happens if they didn't know who their daddy was? What happens if they don't know what their father can do? All this is it's still in them. The genetics is still there, but they don't know what they can do until they understand the name. When you think of Curry, all you think about is basketball. You think about jump shots, you think about three-pointers, you think about the NBA. When you think about Ice Cube, or what is that, O'Shea Jackson, you think about movies, you think about acting, you think about music. George Bush. It's not by mistake that one daddy was a president and then the other daddy was a president. He, his father showed him what he could do. That's why he gave us his name. He gave us his name to show us what we can do. He gave us his name to show us who we are. God is our father. The seed is who? Christ. I can do all things through How can you do all things through Christ? Because the seed is there. And the seed has the DNA of the Father in it. So the scriptures is telling you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through this DNA. I can do all things through this seed. This seed has strength in it. So God tells you to love because why? It's in the seed. It's already there. It's an expectation now. He tells you to forgive because it's an expectation. It's in the seed. Be merciful. It's in the seed. Be kind. It's in the seed. Power. It's in the seed. Authority. It's in the seed. But if you don't know what's in the seed, 
you have no expectations to live it out. If Steph Curry does not know who his father is, he'll go his, his whole life with an MVP caliber basketball game and never see it come to fruition. I was in high school playing basketball, and it was not till after I got out of high school that I found out my father was an All-American. It would have been something good to know while I was playing. To know that, this, hold on, this, it's not by mistake that I can do this well. My father's a teacher. He's a Bible teacher. It's not by mistake. You have to know the name because the name is what you are supposed to be representing. It lets us know the expectation that is given to us. Matthew 6, 9, and 10. About to get good. Y'all get this? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And it says, now this is Jesus talking to his disciples. They come to him and they say, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And he tells them, in this manner, therefore, I want you to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, he did not tell them to pray this prayer. That's what we typically do. We typically just say this and then we're done with prayer. This is actually a format and every line, every stanza of this scripture has a bulk of wisdom in it. Our father, he's letting us know it's not just my father. He's your father too. And then he's letting them know he's not just your father. He's everybody's father. God desires to be everyone's father. He desires it, but all won't allow it. So he says, our father, who is where? Where is he? He's in heaven. He's in eternity, meaning he's not in earth. He's letting us know because he's talking about prayer. The Father is not on earth. The Father is, he's in heaven. He's in eternity. He's not in time and space. He's letting us know because in prayer, the only way things can happen is if we invite him. If you never invite him into your life, into your household, into your relationships, into your marriages, into your finances, into your situations and your circumstances, he never comes. Because as, a, as God, he would never, he would never, ever do something that you don't want. He will never take your will from you. No more than you want to force somebody to marry you. Because <laughs> if, you, if you have to force someone into a relationship, then you have to keep that same work up to keep them in a relationship. So he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name or make my name holy. So as his children, he's asking us to make 
his name holy. Make his name holy. This means to sanctify his name. Now, if you are sanctified, that's another cliche. I can't stand people. I'm saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Spirit. Like, what does that mean? No idea. To sanctify means this. This is the best definition I've ever heard. It means you are set aside as a child of God to be parented by God. If you're sanctified, that means you're set aside as a child of God to be parented by God. Meaning you're going to allow God to raise you to be who he predestined you to be. So he says, sanctify my name, which means when he looks at his children in earth, there should be a difference in those who represent his name and those who represent Satan's name. You can only represent Adam or Christ. You can't be straddled the fence. That's why the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't straddle the fence. You can't say I'm God's child, but do devilish things. Now, let me say this. It is a part of that in which you're growing. So we all came out of Adam. So we all got some sin in us that we're trying to get out of us and grow into his name. So I'm not talking, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just letting you know that you have to intentionally do this. He said either be hot or cold. Said, lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. So he wants us to make his name holy. It also means to have the highest veneration. Now, veneration means to be devoted, to have honor and reverence for his name. So he wants us to have the highest devotion, honor, and reverence for his name. To the point that we manifest it in our disposition, in our words, and in our actions. Did y'all get that? I'll say it again. So to make his name holy means he, want us to, he wants us to have the highest level of devotion, honor, reverence for his name to the point that it is manifested in our disposition, in our words, and in our actions. So he doesn't want us just to say Jesus' name. He wants us to make his name holy in the earth. This is why Jesus keeps on saying, when you do it this way, do it in a manner where, watch this, you glorify your father. When you glorify the father, you're making his name holy. Yeah, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to. But it's not about me. It's about making his name holy. I don't want to love. People will give you a thousand reasons not to love them. But you have to love anyway because it's not about you. It's about making his name holy. You have to be patient with people. You have to be kind. You have to be gentle with people. Why? Because it's all about making his name holy. The issue that we have, that's what, in which the Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? 
The way you lose your soul is to spend your whole life trying to make your name great. He got a pre, he already has a predestined purpose for you. He said, greater is, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You're already great. Your destiny is already great in him. So, to make his name holy, it means to imitate God. Ephesians 5 and 1. He says, imitate God as beloved children. To make his name holy is to take off the old man and put on a new man. All this stuff is saying the same thing. Make his name holy. Lose you to become who he created you to be. It means to make his existence be eternally believed. So when Jesus left the planet, we believed in God. That's how we got the Bible. When he left the planet, we believe it's no it's, it's not by any strange coincidence that the Bible is the number one selling book in the planet and has been for the last 30 years. It's the number one book on the bestseller list to the point where they had to take it off because it kept winning every year. It's some about that book. It's divine. But what happens is people read it with a carnal mind and they think they can figure it out. You can't figure the body. Come on. You can barely figure your life out. Watch this. That's, the, that's how you know. If they got their life figured out, then maybe they can't figure out the Bible. You can't. This Bible is, the Bible is power. It's powerful. It's a divine book. You need a spiritual understanding just to read it. That's why the Bible, that's why it says the carnal man or the natural man does not understand things of the spirit. You cannot read the Bible in the flesh and understand God. So it, it means to make his existence be eternally believed. This is why he says, you are light. You are salt. Okay, you are light, meaning that those in darkness can look at you and see my name. You are salt. You are, you are a different flavor than that other stuff. You're a preservative. When people get in trouble, they, they can come to you. That's why he says, you are my co-laborers. You work with me. I'm in heaven. You working on earth. That's why he says that uh, we are his field, meaning he should be able to put anybody next to you and, and they should be able to grow in him. Why? Because they recognize the name. Now, this is the, 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 uh, the dilemma because he says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. So, if we don't make his name holy, the kingdom can't come. If we don't make his name holy, the kingdom can't come. People can't see the kingdom. We are the light. When people look at us, they should see the kingdom. Not at our clothes, at our behavior, at our conduct. Because I just told you, to make his name holy means that you should, it should be manifested in your disposition. So they should see it in your character. 
It should be manifested in your disposition. It should be manifested in your words, how you speak. The Bible says, whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord. They should see it in how you talk, in your language, how you speak. That it should be seen in your actions. That's why the Bible tells us, do not. If someone does something evil to you, do not do that in return. Because if you do that in return, you're not bearing my name. That's why he said, vengeance is mine. I got that. Keep my name holy. Now, this is the dilemma. His kingdom can only come through us. His world can only be seen through us. We inherited the name to inherit the kingdom. Y'all got that? We inherited the name to inherit the kingdom. So our behavior prevents the kingdom from coming through us and being seen on earth. Colossians 1 and 4. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. Okay, let's go through these scriptures. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Are y'all getting this? When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say wait. Y'all remember that, Baptist Church? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Are y'all reading that? Do you not know? In other words, you don't know this? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, to inherit means to take possession of as a right. You inherited the name to inherit the kingdom. Inherit means to take possession of as a right, meaning you have the right because you have the name. You have a right to the kingdom because you, you bear the name. It means to receive by legal succession or request after the previous owner's death. The Bible says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world so we could receive our inheritance. It means to receive from an ancestor by genetic transmission. Genetics. So you have some stuff that belongs to you legally, ancestrally, and by possession, and rightfully. So let's go back to the scripture. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, he made you right through salvation. He justifies you. He made you right when you accepted him. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he made you right with him. So how can I be unrighteous? Because the righteousness is at the spirit level. The unrighteousness happens at the mind, at the soul, at the heart. 
So when he says, do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's letting you know this has something to do with your soul behavior. It has something to do with the way you think, something to do with the way you act, something to do with your behavior that is preventing you from getting the kingdom that he gave you, that you're supposed to inherit. So it says, do not be deceived. Watch this. And I'm not going to get into the, uh, the, the sins. It says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is not talking about physically. This is not stuff that you're doing physical. This is a soul sickness. This is your mind, which means if you have the mind of a fornicator, which means in your mind, in your heart, and in your soul, you don't see nothing wrong with this. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not you actually doing the act. Adulterer is not you leaving your marriage to be with someone else. It's you thinking about leaving your marriage. The, all these sins are soul sickness, and they show that you cannot be trusted with the kingdom. You cannot inherit this. No more than someone with a cocaine problem that your child can inherit the million dollars that you got in the trust fund. What are they going to do with that million dollars? <laughs> They're going to crack it out. They're going to smoke it up. They're going to be like Tony Montana. Put it all on the table. <laughs> so your soul sickness shows that you cannot be trusted with your destiny. That you cannot be trusted with the kingdom. You cannot be trusted with power. Because you think it's okay. Drunkenness is not drinking alcohol. It could be pride, intoxicated through pride. Okay? Drunkenness is not the act of drinking alcohol and getting drunk. Drunkenness is in your mind. You're saying, I'm going to get messed up tonight. You planned it. So he's saying to this individual, I can't trust you with the kingdom. That's why when the devil came to Jesus, he tried to tempt him. Hey, turn this bread, the stones into bread. He wants him to use the kingdom power in the wrong manner. Go to the top of the thing, jump down, and see if the angels will grab you in the middle of the air. He wants to get him to use the power incorrectly. If you bow down to me, I'll give you all of this. He wants him to worship him to get his power because the devil knows what the name represents. He knew God before we did. He knows the name. He knows he's glorious. That's why Jesus told him, you should not worship nobody but God. God is the only one gets worshiped, not you. I don't worship your name. And that's what he's trying to do. In the music. Shoot this, kill this, stab that, have sex with this, 
drink that, go to this strip club. He's trying to get us to, he's trying to get them to represent his name. Why? Because he knows the moment you start representing his name, you disqualify yourself for the kingdom. You disqualify yourself from power, from authority. You disqualify yourself from blessings. He can't open this door for you. Why? Because of the way your, your soul sickness. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name. Y'all see that? He said you were washed. He said, but such were some of you. Y'all used to act the same way. Stop acting like it's new. People start coming to this church. Don't be messing with them about no cigarettes. Be messing about no alcohol. People come in here, ain't got nothing to do with nothing. It's the soul sickness that's the problem. Don't mess with nobody about their sexual preference. Don't mess with nobody about what they're doing in their personal life. Their soul needs to be developed. If they stop smoking cigarettes, now what? What they going to do? They still not represent the name. <laughs> so you're going to stop doing your sin, but your soul don't change. You, there's still no blessings. You still can't inherit the power. You can quit fornicating. That ain't the thing. The thing is you need to take on the name. You need to take on a different mindset, a different heart, a different disposition. Your actions need to change, but you need to understand who you represent. Until you understand who you represent, it don't matter what you quit. That's just discipline. That's the problem with the world. They think their disciplines make them godly. And it don't. It just makes you, it just says you get a, you get approval from the public. That's why they always talking about in church. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't club. Okay, but you prideful. You resentful. You jealous. You got envy in you. You got strife in you. You hate your family, but you don't club. Wow. What you want, a promotion? And it's, it's not about what you fill a person's soul with the right stuff. They don't want to do that. Once you increase your spiritual intelligence, you learn, okay, what doing this has effect on the kingdom. Yeah, you can go do that, have a little, have fun doing that, but then it disqualifies you for all this other stuff that he wants to give you. So I said once again, people come in here, man, don't be trying to tackle, man, you need to stop doing that. You right, they do, but what they need to do, they need to sit here long enough to get their soul fed so they can change. You running them out. That dress too short. Don't come in here with that. Come in here, look, just don't come in here naked. <laughs> Don't worry about their dress. What if that's all they had? You want to help them? Buy them one. If you really want to help them, look, I'm saying you're going to be coming to church and we don't want, you know, brothers to be. So I'm going to take you shopping. That's how you represent the name. Galatians 5.19. I'm almost finished. 
Galatians 5, 19 to 23. Chapter 5, verse 19 to verse 23. It says, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, meaning everybody can see them, okay, which are, Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness. Now, all of those are sexual sins that's going on in your soul. That's lust, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Father wants us to make his name holy. We've inherited the name, but this is the reason why we can't inherit the kingdom. We can't inherit the kingdom because of Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, all that deals with lust. Idolatry, sorcery, all that deals with idolatry. Hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. You have selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. Murders is not talking about you killing somebody. It's just assassinating somebody's character. And then even talking about you saying it. How do you think about people? God is not dealing with your external. He's not dealing with your external sins. He's dealing with the internal person. That when you can look at somebody and you think you better than them, you think it in your mind. That's what he's looking at. He don't care what come out your mouth because you can think one thing and say another. You can deceive people, but you can't deceive him. That's why I teach in the way I teach. Don't try to impress me. Oh, I forgave. Okay. It don't matter if you tell me. He know if you forgave or not. When you find yourself not inheriting, you'll know if you really forgave. So he says, he says in time past, he said, I told you, I've told you this. Once again, this is soul sickness. But it says that those who practice, I have to bring that out, those who practice such things. Now, we're not talking about having a moment. We're not talking about you having a moment where you did something wrong. We're not talking about having a moment where somebody committed adultery. The Bible says if one of your brothers were to fall, restore them immediately. Restore them immediately. We're not talking about something that someone does in a sense of this happened one time. They fail. We're not talking about that. We're talking about those who practice such things. This is your everyday thing. You wake up in the morning with a sin agenda. 
Those are the ones who will not inherit. He's not saying you're not going to inherit it because you have struggles and you're trying to grow. No. But yet and still, the kingdom is released to you through maturity. And I'm going to show you that. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit. Now, what are the fruit of the spirit? Huh? No, no. The fruit of the spirit. It don't say fruits. Okay? It don't say fruits as in plural. It says the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is the name. The fruit of the spirit is the name. You have the root, you have the seed, the root, the vine, the branches, the leaves, then you have the what? Fruit. It is what is being manifested. Make my name holy. When you make his name holy, that's the fruit. You know a tree by the fruit. Does the fruit bear witness to his name or to Satan's name? What does it represent? You know a tree by the fruit. If you listen, you know the fruit. If you watch, you can see the fruit. So it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. There's no law against that. Meaning, when you do those things, there's no condemnation. There's nothing Satan can accuse you of. There's nothing prohibiting you from the, there's nothing prohibiting the kingdom from moving through you. There's no law against that. It's proof that you are being led by him. It's proof of highly esteemed and approved behavior that represents his name. Our power, the power that we look for, the authority that we look for, the things that we look for, it comes in us making his name holy. Y'all looking at me like... Maturity is manifested when a child goes from desiring what pleases them to desiring what pleases the parents that are providing, sacrificing, and loving them. That's where maturity sets in. When a, I'm read it again. Maturity is manifested when a child goes from desiring what pleases them. In the five stages of sonship, the number one thing that separates a nepios from everything else is that they're always worried about them. And there's nothing wrong with that because you're in Christ. Okay? But it, it gives to your level of maturity. You're always depressed and you're always anxious about what you don't have. Read that again. Maturity is manifested when a child goes from desiring what pleases them to desiring what pleases the parents. So your maturation is le- your maturation levels are dictated by is it about me getting what I want or is it about pleasing him? 
Now, we talked about this with Solomon. What happens when we just desire to please him? Hmm? According to the story of Solomon, what happens when our desires are to please him? Everything else comes to us that we want. Everything that I have right now comes from the fact that I desire to please him more than anybody else. My last name is Hardy. I do not desire to represent the Hardy family. I am not interested in representing the Hardys. I am not. I am trying to bring all the Hardys under Christ. <laughs> when you decide you want to make his name holy, then he can give you the stuff that, was all, that already belongs to you. You can get the power then. I told you, everybody wants power in the church, but nobody wants to mature. Everybody wants authority, but nobody wants to grow up. All right, one more scripture. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to close. Where's my wife at? Um, Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And then we're going to close out. And it reads, Now I say, as long as the heir is a what? Is a child. He does not differ at all from a slave although he is owner of everything. Come on now. So, what is he saying? You are an heir. Now, the Bible does not say that we are heirs with Christ. It says that we are heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. That's important. It does not say that we are heirs with Christ. We are heirs with the Father and joint heirs with Jesus. It lets us know that because everything that he has, we can have. Everything that he did, we can do. But he says, but the scripture says, now I say as long as the heir is a child. That word child is the Greek word nepios, meaning infant. So although you are an heir, although the kingdom belongs to you, As long as you remain an infant, you differ. It says he does not differ at all from a slave. (laughs) Although he is the owner of everything. So as long as you are immature, you can have a billion dollars in the bank, but you're a slave until you mature to get it. So although we own everything, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible talks about us seeking the kingdom and righteousness and all things being added to us. It talks about we have an unction from the Holy Spirit and we know all things. So all things belong to us. But until we mature, until we decide I'm going to represent his name. Until we check our character, our disposition, our words, our actions, and we 
do all things in word or deed in his name. Until we do that, it's as if we're still slaves. We have absolutely nothing. That's why you have so many Christians and people are looking at Christians and they're saying, well, if you're a Christian, why don't you have? Why is it that some Christians have and some Christians don't? Why is it that this works for some people, but it don't work for others? Because they haven't given their life. They give some of themselves, but they don't give all of them. All of themselves. They saved, but they still represent themselves. They saved, but they still want to please their family. They still want to please their friends. So they're heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ, but they don't have any of what the kingdom has promised to them. Verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. And that is the whole reason for church. The whole reason for church is to get you your inheritance, is to grow you up to get you your inheritance. People run from church. They run from their inheritance. The whole purpose of church is to get you mature enough to receive. Verse 3, last one. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. So that word children is still nepios. As long as we were immature in the gospel, in Christ, we're held in bondage by sin, by little things. We're, we're held in bondage by fleshly things. The name and the kingdom. You got, you already have the name. You already have the name. Why have the name, but don't get the kingdom? Why say I'm a child of God, but never ever get to explore his world? 